How's it going? I'm so glad you're here. If you're in the room, welcome. If you're with us online, welcome. We're so thankful to have you worshiping with us. Um, I have to tell you, um, last Sunday on my way to church, I, I have a character defect that I went to celebrate recovery for many years, but I think I neglected to work on this one, which is um, I am late for a lot of things. I'm late a lot. And um, last Sunday was no exception. Um, Bill graciously lets me be part of this band most Sundays, and I um, am always late getting here, and we're supposed to be here, start rehearsal at 8. I'm usually cruising in the door about 8.02. And last Sunday was no exception, and I was leaving home um, and cruising to my car, and as I um, am care I was also going out of town. I had to speak in Mobile Sunday night, so I was carrying a bunch of stuff with me, and I get out to the car, and I come around to the driver's door, and there is a snake by my driver's door, which is my nightmare, okay? If you know me at all, you know that is my worst fear. Um, I stumbled all over myself trying to get away, which is why I have on this new accessory today. And I go scrambling away. Um, I did tell the band when I got here, I felt like we were um, in a, this snake was a Florida resident because we were in a stand your ground situation. And he was not moving. It was not happening. And so I still had to get to church. So I wish you could have seen me doing this up against the car to get into the door, you know, because I was trying to stay away from him. And he would not move. It did not matter what I did. So I get in the car and tried to run him over with the car, which... He ran from that, so of course I did not get to have my ultimate victory over the thing. However, I texted my neighbor and I said, I don't know, uh, two, I have two, two pieces of information for you. One, uh, there's a snake in your yard now because I have run him with my car toward you. And the second thing is the cameras on the front of your garage have likely caught me scurrying away and tripping all over myself. Well, I was, it, I was in a hurry, right? So I get in the car and just come on to church. But by the end of worship last week, I was sort of, you know, flamingoing it up here on the stage, standing on one foot. So, hence my boot. Now, I have an illustration later in this sermon that was already in the sermon before last Sunday um, that is about getting away from bad things. And I use snakes as an example. In the natural, this example did not work. Now, in the spiritual, it works, so just hang with me. Do not let this be the thing that discredits my whole sermon. Um, I will say I'm really thankful to be with you today. We're in this series about relationships, and we focus primarily on marriage, but this really applies to all relationships. And I'll say this to you. I've had people ask this of me in the past. Why does, why does the church talk about marriage or why does a church talk about dating or sex or relationships or any of these? Like, that's our business in our own relationships. But let me say this to you. If the church is not talking about it, somebody else is. Somebody else is talking to your family, to your kids, to your spouse about what things should look like. That doesn't mean that we always get it right as the church, but we will do our very best to tell you what the Word of God says. And that's what this series is about. How do we live godly relationships, and certainly in the context of marriage, how do we do that really well where we can honor God and not fall prey to the things that the enemy has to say? 
Um, <clears throat> so if you are married, this is for you. If you're not married, this is for you because this is about building on the relationships that you currently have as well as the ones that you'll have in the future. When we talk about relationship goals, I don't think anybody ever starts out and says, you know what, I just think I want to have a really bad relationship. Uh, when I'm going to start out on that foot. No, no one ever does that, right? Nobody says that I want to get married and I want to buy so many new things and get so in debt that years down the road, all we're going to do through our whole marriage is fight about money. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody says that. Yet that's where people end up. I don't know anybody who's ever said, you know what, I hope to become uh, an addict to pornography. Who says that when they, they just one day wake up and decide, you know what, I've lived a pretty good pure life. I think I'm going to wreck it today. And I'm going to just let my whole life turn into a disaster. Nobody sets out for that to be the goal, but it still happens. I don't know anybody who says, I've got a goal to just start with small lies. Everybody lies, so just a small one is okay. And then I'm going to graduate to medium-sized lies. And then I'm going to go to big lies. Nobody ever starts out to do that, and I, but, but it happens. Nobody says that I want to live a lie so I can crush this person that I said I'm going to love forever. Nobody does that, but people end up there all the time. So those may feel a little dramatic and a little bit over the top. So let's look at some things that maybe aren't quite that dramatic. <clears throat> I don't know anybody who says, I want to just be really busy. I want to fill up my whole schedule, and, and I want to neglect my spouse, and I'm not going to pay attention to my kids. Maybe it's with a house or a hobby, but if I can just get so involved in this other stuff, one day I'm going to wake up. This is what I just really want. I want to wake up next to my spouse and go, who are you? How would we get here? What is this? Why are we still married? Nobody does that, but it happens all the time. That's why in this series, we're not going into relationships accidentally. If you're not married, but you hope to be one day, we're not just wandering into relationships haphazardly and saying, hey, maybe this will work out. Maybe we'll fall in love and this will work. And we don't have to pay attention to the details because everything will just work out. Some of you have been married and you're not now and you're going, dodge the bullet. Thank goodness. And you're glad to be out. Well, guess what? This is for you too because this is about how do we live before God in a way that's right and good and building good relationships. You may not have any desire ever to be married or to be married again, and that's okay. But God still has something for you. We're going to do what's right and lead us, that, that will lead us into a relationship that would honor God every single day in any kind of relationship. So there's four goals we've been talking about in this series. We're on the third one today. Um, but in this one in particular, and, and it has been a theme through all of them, if you want something different, you have to do something different. You can't do the same thing again and again and expect something different. It doesn't work like that. We've offered you four relationship goals that I believe can really give you the foundation, <clears throat> pardon me, for the types of relationships that our good God wants us to have. If you remember from week one, we talked about being Christ-centered. In week two, we talked about being mission-driven. And today, we're going to talk about being devil-kicking. Next week, Joe will be back, and he's going to talk to you about being covenant-keeping. What does it look like to be covenant-keeping people? But today, we're talking about being devil-kicking in our relationship. How do we stand together against the enemy 
not being enemies of one another, but how do we stand side by side and fight against the enemy here? Why do we talk about this? We need to understand and never, ever forget that we have a spiritual enemy who hates God and everything that God loves. He hates everything that matters to God, and that includes you. That includes your relationships. In fact, Paul said in Ephesians 6, 11, and 12, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Can you imagine the father of lies, the prince of darkness, that's our enemy, and all the demons of hell scheming against you, looking for where you're weak and vulnerable, studying your marriage and relationships and trying to get in to devour, kill, and destroy you. He's doing it. That's his job. Um, that is his self-appointed job. Let me say that. God did not make him that way. But he tried to usurp God in heaven. And so now that's, that's his self-appointed job is to try to destroy everything that God created to be good. God created man and woman to be good. He created marriages to be good. But he will do everything he can to destroy them. Paul says this, For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world. So what do we know? Whatever God blesses, Satan curses. Whatever God cares about and whatever God loves, the enemy hates. He will attack day in and day out. He will not stop. He is relentless. If you ever find yourself struggling in a relationship, it could be your marriage or another relationship, if you're frustrated or angry or afraid or tired or losing trust, Remember that that other person, and I would say particularly in the marriage situation, your spouse is not the enemy. You have to take the face off of the spouse and go, this is the enemy trying to attack us. This isn't my husband or my wife. Now, some of you are going, you do not know my husband or wife. You do not know. She has horns up under the mayor. Let me tell you, she's not the enemy. He's not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. He will do everything he can to infiltrate your marriage and ruin it. You are fighting against spiritual forces of this dark world that are scheming to hurt you. Now, I, get, I hear this a lot from people. Why do you give the devil so much credit? Why do you talk about him? Well, guess what? He's real. That's why we talk about him. I'm not going to turn a blind eye to the very thing that would be trying to tank my life. Why would I do that? I can't just pretend he's not there. The Bible says he's there. So that's kind of enough for me to believe that. But it takes a lot of work to fight against him. But the reality is, as we go into the rest of this message, I want you to hear me. We have the weapons it takes to fight him. The scripture tells us, Jesus told us that we have authority over these things. That's the bottom line. If you don't hear anything else today, we have the authority to fight the enemy. So imagine this. You get an alert on your phone. Everybody's carrying one of those around. I was, last weekend I was um, speaking at, for, at a youth group in Mobile for the kickoff, kickoff of their youth weekend. I was standing in the back waiting on my turn, and I had in my hand a computer and an iPad and a phone, and I was wearing a watch on my wrist, and I thought, my stars, what in the world? I mean, you have so much connectivity, right? We all have that. We get those amber alerts. We get weather alerts and all this stuff. In, in this situation, think about it. If you got an alert on your phone that said this, a criminal has broken out of a local prison nearby and they are coming for you. 
This person's been targeting you, stalking you on social media. They know everything about you. They know where you live. They hate your guts. They hate your kids. They hate your spouse. They want to break in and destroy your house, rob you of your belongings, and hurt everything that matters to you, including your kids. What would you do? What would you do? You'd just be like, oh, cool, and let that be it. No, I'm calling ADT. I'm going, hello, I need an alarm system. I'm making sure that I've got plenty of ammunition in all of my guns. I'm making sure that I have everything in place that needs to be in place to defend what I love and what God has given me, right? I'm going to do that. I would be on guard against this threat that's coming toward me. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. My granddad was a county sheriff for many years in Grundy County, Tennessee. And um, there was a, a man there in town who um, his, he and his wife had had a baby. And um, his wife was having an affair. And so this guy was a little bit unstable anyway, as you will hear in the story. But he went um, into town one day. His wife and her boyfriend and a bunch of their friends and the baby were hanging out at a grocery store in the parking lot in town because that's what you do, you know. Small town. That's where, where I grew up. That's what we did. And they were hanging around in the parking lot. Well, Alvin went downtown and shot all of them, killed them, right in broad daylight, middle of the day, right in the parking lot, except for the baby. He took the baby and ran. He was gone for several days. My granddad found him, arrested him. He ends up going to prison, and he says, Louis, if I ever get out of here, I'm coming for you. I'm going to kill you and all your people. So my granddad is a pretty tough guy. Um, so he didn't show that he was worried about it, but he also knew he was going away for a long time, and he wasn't going to have to worry about that, at least for a little bit. But over the years, he came up for parole, and every time he came up for parole, of course, my granddad was notified. And um, he would get a little nervous each time that he would come up for parole. He never got out. In fact, he just died a couple of years ago in prison. So he never got out, but did make him nervous, right? And you would take a precaution against something like that that is a very real threat. My granddad was very well acquainted with what this guy could do because he'd seen him do it. So he was taking precaution. This scripture tells us that our enemy is the same thing, the same way. Let's read it again. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I'm not big on changing the scripture. I think the Bible is really clear that we should not add or take away anything from the scripture. But I do think that God gives us opportunity to, opportunity to use it as a filter on our own life. And so think about it like this. What if we tweaked this verse just a bit to say, watch out. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for marriages to devour. I don't think that dishonors God and dishonors his word because I believe that's true. One thing that we know about the devil is that he never announces his intentions to attack. He never says, warning, I'm coming. This isn't a hide and seek situation where he says, ready or not, here I come. That is not how this works. We, we have to be prepared and be alert and be on guard at all times. He's the father of lies. Everything that he does is a falsehood. Everything he throws at us that he tries to make us believe is a falsehood. That applies to our lives in every area, but absolutely in relationships. Why wouldn't he want to destroy what God has called good? It's his job.
So there's two ways that I think the devil attacks us. He often attacks with distractions and seductions. So let's talk about distractions for a second. There's some scriptural examples of this. Eve in the Garden of Eden, we all know this story, right? Because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, we're sitting here today in church having to talk about redemption, right? Because of what happened there. The enemy distracted her from what she knew was true. The scripture says that Adam walked in the cool of the day with God every day. He was walking side by side with God. But Eve got distracted by what she knew from what she knew was true, by what the enemy tried to convince her was true, and she ate the fruit. Well, it was the downfall of all mankind, right? King Solomon loved God. The Bible is clear about it. You can read about it in the Old Testament. But he got distracted trying to please people instead of trying to please the heart of God. Judas, we definitely know this guy, he was one of the 12 disciples. He walked with Jesus. He knew all about what Jesus could do. He saw the miracles he performed. He saw things um, that so many other people weren't privy to. But what did he do? He took his eyes off of all of that and became more enamored with the love of money than the love of his Savior. He got distracted. So he attacks us with distractions. There's a powerful little verse in Song of Songs that talks about this. It's in um, Song of Songs chapter 2, verse 15. Now I'm going to uh, give you a little backstory on this verse. Solomon um, wrote this book, and he was pursuing a Shulamite woman who was his beloved one. It's, a, it's an awesome book. You should read it. But he gave her a couple of compliments that, man, I'm just going to tell you, contextually in their, uh, in their context many, many, many years ago, this probably would fly but please don't use these compliments of your wife now. He says to her, your hair is like a flock of goats. <laughs> please don't do that unless you want to get smacked. He also says, your neck is like the Tower of David. Okay, I don't know what that means, but please don't use that as a compliment to me. But, in, but I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not taking away from the beauty of God's word, but I am saying today that may not work. But his tone changes, and in chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. What do the foxes do here? This isn't, it may seem like a weird verse to use to talk about relationships or about marriage in particular. But this is what happened. This is what foxes do. They're kind of unassuming. They're cute. Even this was a whole thing here recently where babies nurseries, they did a whole fox thing. They were so cute. You know, all of it, those little pictures of foxes are so cute. But do we really know what they do? They go in and they would eat the blossoms off of the grapevines. So if the blossoms didn't, weren't able to bloom and fall, fruit couldn't be produced. So the, the foxes were just robbing away everything that was growing or that was trying to grow, that it was good. We have to watch out for those little foxes that seem harmless. They may be barely noticed. Nobody ever really talks about. But if they go unchecked, they destroy the entire harvest. What does our enemy do? He tries to do that very thing. He tries to distract us with little foxes. Not big, obvious things, but little things that someone else might not even notice or pay attention to. I don't know how it might be for you, but the devil may try to distract you with a little fox of comparison. 
Have you ever looked on social media or looked next door at your neighbor's house or at your coworker's car or or at your coworker, what it seems to be like their relationship is so good and you're like, mine doesn't look like that. That's a distraction of comparison. You may think that your husband isn't romantic like that other guy or he doesn't take you out anywhere and there's no real intimate connection. But that guy at work, now he pays attention to me. He talks to me. He pays attention to me. He says things and is able to carry on a conversation that I can tell that he likes to connect with me in a meaningful way. That's dangerous. That is a little fox that the enemy sends in to try to steal away the good things that God has. Maybe it's little things like ridiculously small, meaningless, insignificant things like, I don't like the way you drive. I cannot stand that you chew with your mouth open. Or maybe, I don't like the way that you walk. Or when you're in the bathroom and you're blowing your nose and making all this noise, I can't take it, you know? Whatever that is, it may be something very small, but guess what? It's a distraction. The enemy would use those to try to plant seeds of doubt in you about whether you are meant for the other person. It might be fights over money. You may have no plan and no vision and no direction, and you're always fighting about your finances. Maybe one of you in your relationship is controlling and the other is pretty passive. Maybe they're critical or nitpicking. That's not always just the girls, by the way. The other barely, passive and barely even engages. But the bottom line is this. The devil knows where you are vulnerable. He absolutely does. He'll attack whatever triggers your anger, your fear, and your insecurities. He will tell you that you are not compatible. What does he do? He attacks with little distractions, little things to take you off track and bring division. Why? Because the devil hates what God loves. The second thing that he does and what he uses against us are seductions, sexual temptations that take us away from God's plan. 60% of divorces cite that pornography is a contributing factor to the divorce. 60%. That is a huge number. That may be one reason why Ephesians 5.3 um, is as important today as it's ever been. Paul says, but among you, there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. Not even a hint. We don't want to open up the door in any way for darkness to come in. Let's play a little game here. I want to give you some scenarios, and I want you to tell me if you think there might be a hint of immorality here, sexual impurity. I think the world has lowered their standards on this, so this might not be a very hard game for you. For example, if you lie to your spouse and you go have sex with somebody else, would there be a hint of immorality there? Maybe. Yes, maybe. I think so. Pretty obvious. But here are some maybe not as obvious things. What if you're just on your own watching porn on your phone and your spouse doesn't know about it or your parents don't know about it if you're a teenager or, or what if you've kept that secret and that's just between you and your device? It's just once or twice a week. It's not a big deal. What if instead you're not going to watch porn but you're just going to watch some questionable or inappropriate original Netflix content? Or what about dressing provocatively in a way that might draw attention or posting immodest photos on social media? 
What about having maybe a borderline inappropriate conversation with somebody that you shouldn't be having? Those may not seem as obvious, but let me promise you this. The enemy is using it. He is behind that. The Lord would never, ever put you in those positions. I don't want to keep that door even cracked. I want to keep it slammed shut. As couples and as people and as believers in Jesus, we are to be devil-kicking people. This is not meant to be a life that we can kind of do a little bit of what we want, but then we kind of do a little bit of what God wants. It just doesn't work that way. Impurity is poison. So, so pretend there's a line. Here's where my illustration may fall flat for some of you. But pretend there is a line, and I'm on this side and I'm safe, right? But over here is poison. So it could be a poisonous snake. It could be hot lava. It could be poisonous darts. I don't care, whatever your thing is that you're scared of. It's over there. I'm over here. Now, if there is a copperhead on this side, let me promise you this in real life. Ain't no way I'm towing that line, okay? Not happening um, because this happens. But spiritually and in our lives on a regular basis, what do we do? We just go right up to that line. And we just get as close as we can and think, well, I'm still safe. I'm still on this side. I didn't really cross that line. That doesn't hold up, y'all. It doesn't hold up. It's dangerous to us. Why is it that so often we get as close as we can to the line? And the closer we get, the more, more vulnerable we become. Why do we do that to ourselves? But we do. I think one of the reasons why Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. He says, avoid it. Don't travel on it. Don't even go near it. We want to, we need to, we must, as believers in Jesus, distance ourselves from anything that might compromise any part of us in our relationships, and that most certainly means your marriage. If we're vulnerable to looking at something on the phone, we're going to limit our access to what we can see. There's apps, there's things that, can, that you can put in place that can help you. So if you struggle with that, talk to me. It would go no further than me knowing that or talk to one of our pastors. We can help you. There are safeguards you can put in place digitally that can help you to not give in to that temptation. If there's a person that we shouldn't be engaging with, what are we going to do? We're not going to have lunch alone with that person. We're always going to make sure that there's somebody else around that can vouch for us and that can help keep us safe and in check. If there's a person at work that we find ourselves connecting emotionally with, here's a bold thing, ask to be transferred. That may seem like a big, big, bold thing, but it would be worth it to keep from tanking your marriage or keep from tanking your life. You may think that sounds like outrageous, but it would be better than having this outrageous thing of your life coming apart. If we go to the gym and we find ourselves visually vulnerable or relationally vulnerable, work out at home. If you're looking at things on social media, if you're searching specific hashtags to look for things that you don't need to be looking at, stop. Ask somebody to hold you accountable. Delete the app. You do whatever you have to do to keep your relationships safe. We're going to distance ourselves in any and every way from anything that could harm us or bring attack on our marriage or on our relationships. We don't want to have any hint of anything that could dishonor God. 
You may think that sounds extreme, but let me ask you this. Why would I fight a temptation later that I know I can defeat now? Why would I do that? Why would I say, oh, I'll deal with that when it comes? I'm a procrastinator. Um, I'm kind of a little bit of a creative mind. If you look at my desk, it is piled high. I know where everything is, um, but I'm kind of a creative person, and I get a little wacky in here sometimes. So sometimes I, I procrastinate. And I don't do things and think really far ahead. But in this case, I think God is saying we must think ahead. We must do things to put ourselves in a safe, guarded place to not fall prey to temptation. I don't want to fight something later if I can eliminate it today. What I know that there's two different kinds of people probably listening to me today. And the first one is going, Cam, that is a little extreme. It's too much. Okay, you're going overboard. That just sounds ridiculous. Okay, that's fine. I have a scripture for you in a second. There's another side of the extreme that says, you have no idea how messed up I am. I am broken. I need help, but I'm too ashamed to ask. I don't know how to get out. Both extremes are addressed in one scripture. Let's look at the first one. This is for those of us who feel like, I think I've got this thing licked. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. What else does the word say? Pride comes before what? The fall. Always. When we think we've got something under control, you know what? Smooth sailing, I'm good. And that never, we're, we inevitably end up not good, right? Because something happens. But then the other side that says, you have no idea how messed up I am. Let's look at this scripture. No temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God doesn't just say, good luck. See you on the other side. He always provides us a way out. God can help you. He can restore the things that are broken. Now, those of you that are not married, you may be thinking, this is great. She's beating up on all those married people. Perfect. I can think, I can listen to this and not even worry about it. But let me challenge you in this. You are preparing today for what God's bringing tomorrow. What you do now matters. The things that you're engaging with, the people that you associate with, the things that you're watching, the actions that you're taking really, really matter. The devil attacks you all the time. It's all of us. Single, married, dating, engaged, doesn't matter. If you are really honest, in, if you're a single person, if you're really honest and you think, oh, I'll deal with all that later. Once I'm married, then I'll get things straight. I'll be faithful. No, God wants to see you be faithful now, right now. If we're honest, we could probably say we're not really pursuing Jesus with our whole heart, if that's the case. I don't say that in a um, shaming way. I simply say it to say that God sees you, he knows you, he loves you no matter what you've done, but right now is the time to do it right. Prep yourself. Bill said a couple of weeks ago, you don't build a life of righteousness in the future on a foundation of sin today. You can't do it, it won't work. Whenever I'm tempted to compromise or do something that could damage my relationships, or the integrity of my ministry, some temptation or whatever it might be, I try to visualize what that might do. Visualize the destruction that it could cause. I don't want to do that. Look, 
I give myself a hard enough time, I do not want to live with unnecessary regret. This is an area that I don't have to live in regret if I'm willing to say, Lord, help me. If I keep him primary in my life, the devil will attack your relationships. You've got to be prepared. You have to be alert. If we're not honest, we can't be strong. We're only as strong as we are willing to be honest about what's happening in our relationships. Whatever God blesses, the devil curses. And whatever God loves, the devil hates. We talked about being Christ-centered. Bill talked about that and being um, willing to pray every day as a couple. Let me say this to you. If you're not doing that, I don't care if you've been married five minutes or 50 years. If you've never done it, start. It's never too late to do that. Let me tell you something about my parents. They have given me the most beautiful picture of what it's like to have a godly marriage. They are not perfect. They're pretty dang close. I'll say that. I hope they're watching. Um, you heard me say it. But anyway, they, every day, for as long, and I, I'm almost 40 years old, and I have watched them every day that I lived in their house and every day that I go home and visit and spend the night, this is what I see in the morning. My dad is up about 530 coffee in hand, sitting in his chair, reading the scripture. My mom does the same thing. It's just a little later than 5.30. It's more like 7, okay? 6.30 or 7 o'clock. Daddy brings the coffee in there to her so that she can, you know, like start to focus, whatever. But they read and study on their own, but they pray together. It's an awesome thing to see. And they pray together every day without fail. If they miss it in the morning, if daddy has an early meeting or something, they'll do it later in the day. They pray together every single day. It has made a tremendous impact in their marriage. I believe it has, has solidified their marriage the way it should be. But it's been a great picture for so many other people to see that. You may feel like you're way too far from that. There's no way that your marriage could ever look like that. Sure it can that's on you. Start. Do it. It's worth it. I know <clears throat> right now some of you, unfortunately, are fighting for your marriage and your spouse isn't. And you're thinking, this over. They're not engaged. They don't want the same thing I do. So I want to talk to those of you who may be a little more passive or a little more rebellious right now in your marriage. Girls, listen to me. If you are tempted to criticize or be resentful or angry or gossip, you may have every right to. He may have done a lot of things to hurt you. But I want to encourage you that as the best you can, turn that energy into prayer. Pray for that guy. Invoke the power and the presence of God. And then in any way you can, anytime you see anything good, tell him. If you see something good in him, tell him. You may think, there ain't nothing. There's not. If he's a Christian, if you can't come up with anything else, he may be a Christian, but he may not be living for the Lord. You say, I know Christ is in you. If that's all you can stand to say, say it. You do something, anything you can to encourage him. Don't tear him down. Build him up. Guys, I'm not going to be as nice to you. I've worked with young people for 20 years, 20 plus years, and their families. And let me tell you something from the youth ministry side of things, looking at young people and their families. 
the scourge on families is the absence of a dad. And the absence, not you may be present in the home, but if you are not leading that family, do it. Start. You may not know where to start. You find somebody, any of the men that are up on this stage can tell you how to be godly leaders. I've seen it, they're doing it. Ask them. You call the office, find somebody else in here who's doing it well and say, help me. They need you to lead. They don't need you to be passive. They don't need you to sit back and just let life happen. They need you to lead and love them. They need you to show up for them. Be a man of God. Bring them to church. Look, I know kids don't want to come to church. Trust me, I wrangled them on Wednesday nights for 20 years. I know, but I'm telling you this. Put them in the car and get them here anyway. They need to hear the word of God. Now, that's one day a week here. You need to be declaring the word of God over them every day at home. And dads, that's your job. Moms, that's your job. Do it together. God is not asking you to, to well, maybe take a bullet for your family. I don't know. But he's not asking you necessarily to die for them, but he is asking you to live for them. You do what has to be done. You are on a mission to raise your family and lead your wives well. We're called to be Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, and covenant-keeping people, whether you're married or not. It'll be hard. It's going to take work. It'll take prayer. It's going to take tears, and it'll take repentance, and it will take forgiveness. But I'm going to tell you this. It is possible to do it because what God blesses, the enemy will attack. God blesses marriages that are living for him. He wants you to do that. The devil attacks what God blesses. The devil attacks absolutely what God loves. God loves you. You were his idea. Marriage was his idea. Don't let the enemy steal away what God said is good. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Doesn't matter if you feel hopeless in your marriage right now or in your relationships right now. God is bigger than that. He sees you and loves you and wants to meet you where you are. But you start living for him and he will begin to make the difference. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today that you were the one who had a good idea. You had a good idea for relationships. You had a good idea to create us. It was your really good idea to love us and send Jesus. So, Father, we ask today that your Holy Spirit would begin to talk to us about where in our relationships we have deficits, where have we failed. Lord, your, your um, plan is never to shame us, but to love us back to wholeness. So I, I speak that over every marriage here, Lord, that you would bring wholeness, you would bring health and life again we love you Lord we know that you can do it that you can give us the power to walk in a way that's honoring to you and in turn Lord you bless and honor us beyond what we deserve we love you Lord show us how to live the right way and we'll give you the honor we thank you Lord in your name amen